Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, some of us love the heat. Some of us hate the heat. Whatever it is doing to you, uh, it might be driving you slightly insane. The best place to be currently is inside an air-conditioned car, or indeed an air-conditioned studio, which is where we are this morning. I'm delighted to say we're joined by former Conservative MP and Brexit Party MEP, Ms Anne Whittingham. Anne, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us. So, uh, do you, like me, share the view that we're not actually going to run out of food? It's got sort of the Brexit panic written all over it, this story, hasn't it? I don't think we've pinged so many people that we're not going to be able to buy a loaf of bread and a tin of salmon. Do you? Well, I think the whole pandemic thing uh, has become uh, an incredible nonsense. Um, And particularly, as the government says, you know, on the 16th of August, if you're pinged, you don't need to isolate. Well, you know, has the bug received notice that on the 16th of August, um, everything's going to change? Uh, If it's okay on the 16th of August, then it's okay now, given the huge vaccination rate. So, I mean, I think the pandemic is doing huge damage. I mean, let me give you a very quick example. I was in a hairdresser's salon, sat in solitary splendor. Nobody else in the salon. I assumed it was COVID security, but no. It was because everybody, apart from the owner and one of the apprentices, had been pinged and told they must isolate and couldn't go into work. And the customers were also ringing up saying they'd been pinged, so they couldn't come in. So it has got beyond a joke. I never had this app, never had this app. Very glad I didn't. Yes, me too. I was thinking to myself exactly the same as you, Anne, uh, because there are those of us, of course, who um, believe if you are sick, you get tested. If it turns out you've got COVID, you stay home. But if there's nothing wrong with you, what on heaven's name would stop you from going to work? Well, absolutely nothing. I I was chatting to somebody the other day who's a vicar. He'd organised an event. Somebody at the event, a child with whom he'd had no contact at all, uh, tested positive. The mother was told, well, you must give us the numbers of anybody who was there. She said, well, I don't know them. Uh, but she said, I can give you the number of the organiser. Uh, and then, of course, he was phoned up and told to isolate. Mm. Hadn't had any contact with them at all. It's just nonsense. Yeah. It's a kind of mass hysteria that we seem to be suffering from in this country, Anne. In the same way, I mean, I've noticed this morning, actually, there's a lot fewer people wearing masks than there were even yesterday. Oh, but the number good. of people who are still insisting on wearing masks, even outside in 30 degree heat beggar's belief. Well, it does beg a belief. Uh, I was very relieved. I went into town uh, for the first time yesterday uh, and tested out all the shops to see if I was going to be asked to wear a mask, and I wasn't. But I couldn't believe the fact that I would stand in a shop and look around and I'd be, you know, one of two or three not wearing a mask. Mm. Uh, and it's, people are scared. 
this government has succeeded in scaring them rigid and they're now prisoners of their own fear rather than prisoners of common sense and yes. logic. Well, exactly right, because all sorts of things have happened over the course of the last sort of 15 to 18 months. Many of them have been government's uh, uh, own devices which have created problems which have then, um, you know, not been fixed. I mean, the NHS, for example, which we'll talk about in a minute in terms of the pay rise that's being offered to them. The NHS is in trouble for several reasons, none of them really to do with COVID, all of them to do with the way the government has reacted. For example, distancing um, beds from one another further so they can't get as many beds in a ward as they used to. Secondly, uh, a huge backlog of cases which they didn't work on because they were so obsessed with COVID. And thirdly, so many staff not available to work because they've been sent home. Now, none of that has got anything to do with common sense to me. No, it, ha- it hasn't. Uh, <coughs> there's a complete absence now. <coughs> Sorry, it isn't only common sense. Right. There's an absence of proportionality. We've got the whole thing out of proportion. <coughs> we were told that the vaccinations were the passport to freedom. Uh, we got something like 80% of people have had at least one vaccination, coming up to 70% have had double vaccinations. You know, we should be starting to say, right, this is it. This is where we start living with COVID uh, because we've done all we can. Mm. Uh, and instead of which, you know, there is this terrible fear, despite the fact that the statistics clearly show that the hospitalizations and the death rate are nothing like they were uh, when we didn't have the vaccination. Well, that's right. And I mean, in fact, many people have said to me, you know, this time last year, uh, we'd opened up the pubs in July. We actually did a show from a pub when it first opened in July. Um, the cases were, were still, you know, running, but they weren't particularly high. We were able to go abroad. We didn't have you know, restrictions on travel in the way that we do now. And we had no vaccine. So it's actually worse this summer than it was last summer. Yes. And as I say, the, the, the key word there uh, is proportionality. Now, I think that Boris's instincts actually... Uh, are to open up, get on with it, live with COVID. Everybody use their own common sense. Don't take unnecessary risks, but equally, you know, don't be prisoners of fear. Mm. I think those are his instincts, but um, they're not the instincts of those around him. And he lacks the courage to go out on a limb. That is how I see it. Yeah, I mean, he did go out on a limb, though, didn't he? A couple of weeks ago when he said he was sticking with uh, July the 19th as the date by which all restrictions would be lifted. But then we saw this kind of mad, um, almost politically driven, I think, opposition from people like Andy Burnham, Sadiq Khan, who suddenly said, well, we're going to still tell people they have to wear a mask on public transport uh, because it's the right thing to do. And he's allowed that to happen. I think that was a mistake. Yes, I mean, I I, I think that he made exactly the right comparison. Uh, that is, Boris made the right mm. comparison. One I'd, in fact, used several weeks earlier in my express column, saying, look, there is an enormous difference between a rammed tube train and an empty railway carriage. And you should be able to make the judgment as to whether there is any point in wearing a mask uh, in either of those two situations. You Mm. may come to the conclusion you won't bother, or you may come to the conclusion, actually, if this tube train is very crammed, I will put my mask on for the duration of this journey. But it's a question that you should be able to sort out. You, the individual using judgment, the government's treating us like a bunch of idiots Mm. who can't be trusted to use our own judgment exactly but my interest in, in this is 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 one of, of legality really because if surely if the prime minister says there is no more legal requirement to wear something yeah. then how is it possible for another organization which is a public sector organization um uh, to, to go against that and to change the policy of the government in that particular space well what they can do is um they uh, they can make it a condition of carriage mm. now that separates transport really from uh, other situations. I mean, a shop 
can't make it a condition of entry that you're, you know, you present in a particular way. But you can make a, a condition of carriage, and that's how they've got round it. Uh, so, in fact, they're effectively creating their own bylaws, mm. effectively. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I think, you know, uh, I haven't worn a mask since the, the 19th. You know, I've sent it up to the attic, and I've said, that's it. And, yeah. you know, if I'm turned away from anywhere because I'm not wearing a mask, well... You know, I shall make a fast, but uh, I shan't wear a mask. Well, also, they won't get any of your business. I'm, I'm very, very much like you, and I'm, I'm in the same, uh, in the same place. But the other thing that I'm now hearing, and I was saying earlier, I heard from an Ustor uh, representative, trade unions are driving a lot of this. You know, the yeah, people who uh, work on, on, on TFL, work on uh, the transport system. But we're now hearing it from supermarket uh, staff in terms of the, the, the unions that represent them, saying that they want to see a return to mask wearing in supermarkets. So it's a very slippery slope. And this is why I think Boris has to be careful that he doesn't allow other organisations to say, well, actually, we're going to tell people they have to wear a mask. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Um, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the law says I make my own mind up. That is what the law says. Yeah. Uh, and if some organisation wants to set up against the law, uh, I just won't use it. Mm. I mean, it really is as simple as that. Um, and uh, first of all, Sainsbury's, for example, said that uh, customers could choose whether to wear masks or not. Now they want customers to wear masks. Mm. The fact is that if you go into any of these supermarkets and brazen it out, they won't try and force you no. because the law doesn't allow them to. No, indeed. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I've just been walking in without one. And it says yeah. uh, on one, I went into one yesterday, it said, please feel free to wear a mask. Well, that's not an instruction. Um, I no. feel free not no. to wear one. Thanks very much indeed. And I'm coming in. And I was fascinated. I, uh, on Freedom Day itself, I was actually uh, on the motorway. Uh, and uh, I called in at two separate service stations. Mm. At the first service station, they were actually, they had staff on the floor digging up the social distancing signs, you know, they right. were removing them. Right. Done, you know, there was no requirement to wear a mask or anything like that at all. Uh, and then in another service station, not very far away, it was all, everybody was asked to wear a mask. Mm. Now, I didn't, as it happened. Uh, but that was, so different organisations taking completely different lines. My belief is it'll shake down as, you know, more and more of us don't wear masks, it will shake down. Yes, I think it will. And I think as time goes on, fewer people will wear them. Uh, people will work out, actually, that doesn't really make much of a difference. And I mean, they don't make any difference. Well, this you know, is the thing. All, I mean, COVID's rising and we've all been wearing masks. So where has it, where have they protected? Yeah, well, this is where it's all coming from, right? There's a, there's a, there's a poster, I don't know whether you've seen this. I wear my mask in public for three reasons. One, humility. I don't know if I have COVID, as it is clear that people can spread the disease before they have symptoms. Two, kindness. I don't know if the person I'm near has a child battling cancer or cares for their elderly mother. While I might be fine, they might not. And three, community. I want my community to thrive, businesses to stay open, employees to stay healthy. Keeping a lid on COVID helps us all. I mean, it sounds like something from some weird science fiction dystopian drama, doesn't it? And um, businesses, of course, are going to stay open with the pandemic going on. Yes. Yeah? I mean, that's a complete contradiction. The only thing that will get society back to normal is if we just say we cannot have nil COVID. That is quite impossible. But as long as we're protected against it through the vaccines, we should. There will be exceptions, but we should be OK. Yeah. I mean, Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng said this morning uh, that the government is not going to change its policy uh, on the on the pinging situation in the NHS app. And the reason he gave was that we can't keep changing policy. Well, that's what they've been doing all year. <laughs> I mean, they, well, they've done it ever since the first lockdown. Right. They've, they've changed policy. 
ever, I mean, it was total flip-flop fudge flail. Um, they've been doing that throughout. So the idea that they should say, well, we must be consistent now is, is a bit of a joke. I mean, we've just had Boris saying, well, actually, he's not going to isolate. He's going to join a pilot scheme. And then five minutes later, well, he is going to isolate after all. So they don't stick to what they say. So there's no good reason to stick to this no. 16th August. They could do it tomorrow morning. They should do it. They should. Morning. They absolutely should. I think, once again, they will be forced into doing it sooner rather than later. So they might as well just do it now. The other thing uh, I'm going to talk to you about in a moment, just after a little break, yeah. is the NHS uh, pay rise. But first of all, vaccine passports. Looks like that's dead in the water now as well, because the Labour Party finally put up something uh, described as opposition and said they're not going to vote for it. Well, yes, I mean, we've been waiting for some opposition from the Labour Party for a very long time. They certainly haven't been on the side of freedom uh, in the course of this pandemic. But whereas I don't remotely mind having to produce a vaccination certificate in order to travel. Yes. I mean, I've done that all my life. Yellow fever for Ethiopia, you know, cholera yeah. and the old days for India. Done that all my life. Not bothered about that. But to access domestic services, just to go into a pub or into a restaurant, um, I don't actually think that a vaccine certificate is proportionate. Mm. I don't join any of the conspiracy theories, which I think are equally disproportionate. Um, but I think that you've got to leave it down to individual pub, pub owners and restaurant owners to work out what they should be doing. And we already see enormous differences you know, in, in their approach. Uh, and that's a matter for them and for the customer who can easily say, don't like what you're doing, going somewhere else. But let's hope vaccine passports for domestic use are, you know, are dead. Absolutely right. Stay with us, Anne, if you would. We're just going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to talk to Anne Whittacombe after this about NHS pay rises, how it should work, what should happen, why there's such a big clamour uh, for people to get a 12% pay rise when they've had quite a lot of pay rises over the course of time uh, recently. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here, the home of common sense. It's now, of course, available on television as well. For details, go to talkradio.tv or download the talkradio.tv app. We're talking to Anne Whittacombe former Conservative MP and Brexit Party MEP as well. Um, on the on the subject of this NHS pay rise, there's obviously uh, all sorts of uh, parts to it, Anne. I mean, I used to work in various organisations in the media where they would take, say, for example, a 6% ceiling uh, and work their way through down to zero. Now, depending on either how your performance was or what your job was, you could get anything from zero to 6%. I think it's a mistake to give a sort of flat rate to everybody because clearly... Nurses who have been in the front line, A&E doctors, people who have been dealing with COVID consistently throughout the year should get the maximum. And certain uh, management people who haven't really done anything but work from home shouldn't get anything. Yes, I mean, I, I think that's sensible. But I also think we, we need to look at the broader picture, which is this. Uh, we've had a pandemic which has wrecked the economy. Now, you can argue that the government response has done some of the wrecking, but mm. that doesn't matter. We are where we are. Uh, and uh, we are trillions in debt, uh, and we have an enormous bill that 18 months ago we did not have. Now, sooner or later, we've got to face the fact that that's going to have to be paid back, uh, that we're going to have to start showing restraint uh, simply because of the unusual situation that we're in. It's a national emergency. You wouldn't have, you know, 
come out of the blitz and said, I want a pay rise, I want a 12% pay rise. We're in a national emergency and people have got to show restraint, not only in the NHS, but everywhere else as well. Absolutely right. I mean, there's 1.3 million plus people working in the NHS. So the scale of of any pay rise is obviously going to be huge. But, you know, let's face it, you know, apart from the clinical staff, there are a whole series of other people who work in different, completely different roles. And, And one of the bugbears that I've had over the past year, which I've been talking about a lot, is GP surgeries, many of which have not been open uh, for people to visit, for people to actually see a GP face to face. And I think if you haven't been working as a GP seeing patients, you shouldn't get a pay rise either. Well, then you see what the GPs will argue. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. is that you know no they haven't been seeing patients in person uh, but they've been seeing them through the net they've been doing telephone calls they've been applying all their expertise now i'm not making that case for them i'm just saying that's the case that they will make and you'll get into a very silly argument so i think in one way the government is right to say right well you know it's, it's going to be the same for absolutely everybody it will save a, a huge amount on admin and argument and all the rest of it and comparisons and catch-ups and, and future years and all the rest of it i understand why they're doing that for simplicity's sake my problem is with the fact that anybody should even contemplate demanding a 12% pay rise now. I mean, it was 1%, now it's gone to 3%. And that, in the current climate, you know, they might just stop and think, yes, they've worked terribly hard. Yes, we owe them a, a tremendous amount for the way they tackled COVID. But there are people out there who haven't been able to work, who are getting 0% mm. of their salary. And this is going to go on for quite some time. So uh, I I think at the moment, you know, anybody who's being paid and in a job should say, yes, I'm very grateful um, that I'm one of those uh, who is still working. And what would you say to those in the uh, sort of unionised side of the NHS who are saying that they will only do it as a last resort, but they are considering industrial action? Well, I mean, if what they're talking about is strike action, which is usually what industrial action means, Uh, If that is what they are talking about, then all I can say is 
that would be the height of irresponsibility and they would very quickly change what is massive public goodwill towards them into an awful lot of public ill will. I mean, dash it, there are people out there uh, who are dying because they didn't get ordinary routine NHS treatment during the COVID pandemic. Now, they urgently, we urgently need to catch up with those lists uh, to prevent even more people dying. Uh, and therefore to say, well, you know, I'm going to take industrial reaction action because I want paying and I'm prepared to let people die in order to be paid. That is so wrong that I actually don't believe that the majority of NHS workers would have any truck with it at all. No, let's hope not. Anne Willicombe, great to talk to you. Common sense personified as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, read Anne Willicombe's column in the Daily Express, of course, when you can. Former Conservative MP, Brexit Party MEP, national treasure, as far as I'm concerned. A woman that talks perfect sense and belongs right here in the world headquarters of Common Sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Mark Pilkinson, retail specialist, author of Retail Therapy, Why the Industry is Broken. Mark, a very good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Um, is it is it a bit of uh, hype, this uh, this shortage, food shortage business? I think so far it's not that bad, but there is a very substantial risk if they continue with the current policy that it could get bad. Yes. I mean, the policy, I think, for anybody with half a brain and a bit of common sense is nonsense, isn't it? The policy is completely contradictory. I mean, either you believe that uh, we're protected by the vaccine um, and therefore that we should be opening up, uh, which, you know, we are, mm. um, uh, or, or you don't. Now, if you if you do believe we're protected, why bother with this pinging thing? I mean, that, people are out there clubbing. I mean, there's really, <laughs> we're up to 50,000 cases a day. I mean, it, it's going to go through the roof. The poor old retail workers in that, in that instance are in the front line. A lot of them are young, of course, haven't been vaccinated. And... Um, you know, they're in the front line with people don't have to wear masks, you know, so they're going to have people breathing all over them. Right. On the other hand, the poor old retailers, because of the, the pandemic thing, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're suffering the loss of, you know, 5%, 10% of their workforce all the way through the supply chain. Yeah. And that's bound to have an effect on, on, on their businesses. I mean, it strikes me that at some point the government will probably have to change its policy on this pinging business and the NHS app and they're just going to have to tell people that it's not going to be, be in use anymore. And frankly, by August the 16th, if you've had to vaccinations it's not going to work anyway they might as well just end it now might they yeah well that's what the, the british retail consortium uh, is saying is that you know if you're going to end it on the 16th of august why not just end it now because you know that's nearly a month away and uh, in the meantime you know chunks of the retail industry may have to close down because of shortages and of course as you said earlier a lot of people are using the pink as an excuse not to go to work. We've already got the furlough scheme, which is kind of the same thing. Mm. I think people have gotten used to, particularly in the summer with the nice weather, people have gotten used to not working. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've got inflation, you know, we've got uh, shortages already. This is not good. No, exactly right. And presumably for some supermarkets, if they can bring other staff in because their main sort of employees have, have been told to stay away, that's an extra cost for them as well. It is, yeah. I mean, they're having to pay the people anyway, and, and, and then they have to bring extra on board. And, I mean, let's remember, there is a shortage of labour anyway, uh, for reasons we've just talked about. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are finding it hard to recruit. So, you know, it's, it's not good if we see shortages. The problem is, if it starts becoming a panic-buy situation, it's just going to exacerbate the, the shortage. I mean, it'll just clean it out like it did at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Although, do you know, I had always had my suspicions about um, what actually happened with all of that panic buying because um, I was remarkably surprised to see in one of my local um, uh, 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 sort of laundromats, I walked in there once to get some shirts cleaned um, and there was piles and piles and piles up to the ceiling of toilet paper. 
And I said, uh, I said, where does that come from? And, 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 the, and the girl in the shop said, well, we're owned by the, the guys that own the shop next door, which is a sort of, you know, local supermarket type shop. Um, and they bought, they went and bought all this toilet roll and they're selling it for like double the price. And I mean, I think there was a lot of that going on. There was an awful lot of, um, of gouging, price yeah. gouging uh, for advantage. And, uh, you know, I think the problem is, you know, from a planning point of view, any of the, any of these kind of things where you get a sudden peak, it's a nightmare. Mm. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And I heard a, a representative of the Union Us store uh, this morning talking about health and safety of workers and all this kind of thing. And, and while coming on and, and kind of saying it was ridiculous that all these people were being pinged, not actually saying uh, that they wanted it to stop. Because they're like, well, if you get pinged, you have to not go to work because otherwise you're putting your life in danger. And this kind of talk is really not very helpful. Yeah, I mean, we've got to get the, the economy back going again. I mean, we've, we've spent a shed load of money keeping, you know, supporting everybody. We're going to be in hock for the next 20, 30 years. Debt's as bad as it's been since the early 60s. And I mean, we've got to get the economy going again. We really have. And uh, I mean, as far as the sort of, uh, what, what, do you, what do you know, if you know anything about the HGV uh, question that was raised by a couple of people who tweeted me saying that there's actually a shortage of HGV drivers? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, they're saying that even before uh, the, the pandemic, there was a shortage of 100,000 uh, drivers, which, you know, I, I, I've no idea what that means. Uh, but I mean, you know, obviously with uh, this additional problem, um, you know, the supply chain's got a lot of elements to it. You've got, you know, you've got production, which is being affected. You've got shipping. You've got warehousing. Uh, I mean, you know, a pandemic could go down around a warehouse pretty quickly. And and then you've got the actual stores themselves. So mm. there's lots of bits that can go down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so are you making, uh, as uh, or, or is, is the retail industries um, organisations making any sort of um, petitioning to the government, making any kind of pleas to the government to try and make sure that they are part of what might become an exempt industry? Because uh, Quasi Quartain this morning saying they will be making it possible for some industries to get exemptions on this stuff. Yeah, but they've said it's very, very few. I think they're just going to go for more safety type uh, businesses, you know, security, things that would really endanger people. If, mm, if like they the can't NHS, maybe. I don't, yeah, I mean, you know, the retail industry is, is three, the direct employment, 3.5 million people is the biggest large private sector employer in the country. And they're, ne they're never going to let that many people off the hook. Mm, no, exactly. Well, Mark, listen, thanks for talking to us. Great to, uh, to find out what your perspective is on it. Mark Pilkington, retail specialist, author of Retail Therapy, Why the Industry is Broken. I think the problem with all of these types of stories is that they become self-fulfilling, don't they? If you say there's going to be a shortage of petrol, everybody immediately goes to the petrol station, fills up their car with petrol, creating... You guessed it, a shortage of petrol. As soon as you say, you're going to run out of pasta if you don't go and buy some now, you're going to run out of pasta because everybody's going to go and buy pasta. I don't understand part of the human nature that makes people do that. But I do say to you that in the beginning of the first pandemic lockdown, there was absolutely lots of evidence from, from my perspective that I actually saw that many of the shortages were being caused by shop owners who were buying the stuff in the supermarket, bringing it back to their shop, knowing that the supermarket would run out and then selling it at an inflated rate and profiteering from it, which I think is entirely immoral and certainly unethical and certainly shouldn't be allowed to happen now. But I would love to hear from all of you out there because, of course, you are the eyes and ears of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You are the ones that will tell us precisely what is going on out there. And if I hear from anyone who says they've seen an empty shelf, uh, I will be very, very surprised. So let us, without further ado, uh, talk to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. Haven't spoken to him for a while. William, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. Have you been pinged? Are you avoiding the sunshine? What's going on? 
Um, funnily enough, I, I, I haven't been pinged, but um, my youngest uh, has COVID, so I'm stuck here and I have been for some time. Oh, OK. Well, hopefully he'll be OK and it's not going to be anything uh, too serious. There is a kind of madness about the pinging that's going on. Over 600,000 people uh, this week have been told not to go to work and to self-isolate. And surely the government's got to change that policy, haven't they? Yeah, it's not working. I think what they, they failed, as I've said before, they failed to take their own win. Um, double vaccination mm. brings down the chance of death to 5%. So one in 20 of a risk, which for most of the population was pretty low anyway. Um, I think we're just, they're just stuck, aren't they, Mike? They're just, they're, we're not being governed very well. They're stuck. They've, ex they've discharged their prime, one of the primary um, obligations to society. They've vaccinated us. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you got nearly 90%, uh, you know, of the public vaccinated. So, um, but they're having difficulty in taking the win. So I think what we're witnessing now are the sort of, the, I don't know what you call them, sort of tail effects, drag effects of the pandemic. Um, look at look at the death rates in the hospitals. I mean, the, 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 the vaccination has worked. The close association of cases with deaths has been broken. And I think they have to have the confidence to take the win and, yeah. and open up. I think, so that's that exactly, I think that's exactly right. They, right up until sort of the beginning of June, it all seemed to be going reasonably well. And then they've sort of lost their bottle since then, haven't they? Yes, it is. It's, but uh, this has been a feature of this government from the start. It's been sharp turns and panicking and they're not really helping. Yeah, the, the pandemic, as it's called. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, look, the, the way to do it is to stop the mandatory isolation of people and start, if necessary, testing before you go to work or something like that. That's more sensible. Yeah, but I'd like to see an end to all this testing as well, William. I mean, the idea that they're testing so many thousands of people every single day uh, who don't have any reason to be tested is, to me, another form of madness. Yeah, it is. But on the other hand, it's, you know, I mean, my wife and I have, have tested. We're, we're, we, can't, we can't leave, effectively. We're stuck. Now, my wife tests anyway regularly because she works at a university mm. and does goes into work, but... I, I think it's reasonable to say if you if you've got a if you test yourself and you're positive, obviously isolate. But but there are millions millions of people being, uh, you know, told to stay at home and and, and as you say, and then and then um, the the panic industry, otherwise known as journalism, has got onto it. And of course, you <laughs> some get some journalism, William, please. Yeah, yeah, some some journalism. I, yeah, you're, you're you're an exception, obviously. But but in general, um, yeah, they can't wait to put pictures of, of empty shelves yeah up. oh and, yeah well uh, they're, they're absolutely feeding this uh, sort of frenzy that we're all going to run out of food which is what they did during brexit as well um which mm. of course didn't happen when you see stories about um women like amber hill uh, her british gold medal hopeful from uh, the olympics she's having to withdraw from the olympics because she's had a positive covid test but she doesn't have any symptoms and you're kind of going all right well maybe the test isn't right is that possible it is possible, um, but also it's a tragedy because obviously that particular thing that she does is done outside. So you know what a it's it's a it's a real it's what a sad case that is. I know. But I, I think you, we do we're nearly there. I mean, I Patrick Flynn said the other day on Twitter. I think he's right that actually by September this this will start to look as if it's done. And I, I think there there are a few very important things we need to resist, Mike. So don't let the government start introducing government-backed vaccine passports. If they do that, they'll never withdraw. Mm. All the history history of humanity will tell you that. Once once they start, if you have to have a passport to get a pint or whatever, they'll never they'll never yeah. row that. So no. we've got to resist that. But basically, let them take the win. And they don't seem to realise that they've vac they've vaccinated ninety five percent of the mortality out. 
It's a fact. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about Dominic Cummings. Uh, you had some thoughts about his interview with Lord Kunzberg, which I thought um, was interesting, um, not least because of what he was asked, but also because of what he wasn't asked. Um, he does come across as a bit of a, a weirdo, a bit of a strange character. Um, but you quite liked some of the things that he had to say. Yeah, so I mean, he's obviously he's a little bit of a marmite character, isn't he? Uh, but um, well, know, I, think, I think everybody hates him. The left loves him well, now because he's that, attacking no, Boris. <laughs> yeah, well, the, well, that may be a good thing, maybe justified. Yeah. Uh, obviously, his history has, has, has been part of the Vote Leave campaign and things that you know, as a, as a Brexiter, I, I think that's you know, he's his place in that. I'm not arguing that he should have a statue of him on a horse, right? But he does have a very important part uh, to play in that. But no. I mean, have a look at the interview. I'd urge everyone, it's on iPlayer, have a look at it. It's, it's, it's interesting reading. But if you set aside a lot of the sort of gossip and person personality stuff, you know, him falling out with uh, Boris Johnson and, and, and Carrie, take all that aside, leave all that aside, and leave out also the, the stuff about the pandemic. All that stuff will come out. Cummings had some really insightful stuff to say about our political system, really insightful. And he basically said, he criticised our two... Uh, duopoly parties mm. as being unfit for purpose and they're basically gatekeeping the whole of British politics and he 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 was a revolutionary in this he he argued that the system needs breaking up and I, I totally agree with him and the millions of people up and down this country that look at the choice when they get into the uh, into the polling booth and say you know you, you have a rotten choice I mean last election you had Boris Johnson okay you got Brexit done on that it was worth voting him perhaps on, on that point but it's a rotten choice. Corbyn, rotten choice. Labour, rotten choice. And I think we we do need to address how the system works. It's a tragedy that our system is gatekept by these two rotten parties. And I think we, we deserve and would be better governed if we changed that. Mm. There's certainly no doubt there are many uh, people who voted Conservative and who have voted Conservative before who say they will not vote Conservative again as a result of the way that the, the government has been running this country and the way that they seem to have lurched sort of away from being Conservative to a large extent. So a lot of people are looking for a sort of more centre-right party, perhaps, uh, or even yeah. maybe slightly right of centre-right, if you know what I mean. Uh, similarly yeah. with the Labour Party, a lot of people there looking for a more left party. I mean, Keir Starmer spent last weekend kicking out a load of lefties um, who he said he doesn't want in the party anymore. If he's not careful, you know, the ever-decreasing iceberg that he's standing on is going to eventually melt. Well, the Labour Party's cooked. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's turned its back on, on the working people of this country. It'll never get it back. A lot of people don't realise how, uh, in what danger the Labour Party is. And it's lost Scotland. It's, a, it's in the process of losing the Red Wall. Mm. Electorally, there's no way back for this party. It's a big version of the Lib Dems, uh, not a very, very pretty one. The Tories, I mean, you're quite right, Mike, to say that they haven't conserved anything. They've conserved pretty much nothing. Yeah. And in terms of social conservatism, the SDP is a more conservative option. I mean, if you want to protect sort of family, community and value nationhood and so on, uh, vote for us. Yeah. You know, that's not difficult. But I, I think we offer something which is a special place, really, a special blend of, of politics. And there's some a lot of issues uh, detail how important that is. I mean, I'll give you a good example, a very good example, the migrant crisis and housing. Mm. Now, we're offered, the poor old public is offered just this rotten choice of a Labour Party that's keen on open borders, but gets it right on housing to a certain extent because they want to build some council houses. And then you've got the Tories who talk about lowering immigration, but they never act on it, uh, but won't build any houses. Mm. And there's, you know, to any, you know, this is the, this is the radio station of common sense. Common sense would say 
that the winning numbers is in the combination of the two. So you've, you've got to get immigration down significantly, stop the open borders, get it down significantly, but also build some council. Well, you've certainly, I mean, what you've got to do is stop this ridiculous procession of people just coming here because they can, walking onto mm. the beaches of this country and disappearing. I mean, that's effectively what's happening now. That's demoralising for the public. Yeah. And it, break, it breaks the social contract. That's what successive governments have done. And, you know, it's interesting. I can't remember. I think it was, might have been Steve Baker tweeted yesterday or the day before, had a little clip of Ed Davey saying, you know, the Lib Dems are in favour of open borders. And I retweeted it. So just like I saw that. Yeah. You, 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 they, they don't, don't be taken in. I think increasingly people aren't going to be. Brexit needed to be done. Mm. I can understand why people voted in 2019 to get this done. I, can, I you know, I can understand that. But uh, don't be taken in by Tory rhetoric on this stuff. They, they always talk conservative at election time and they never act on it. Mm. The Tory party is full of liberals and all, in fact, all parties are. They're, you know, th uh, this is why I say the Labour Party is basically a big version of the Lib Dems. Yeah, well, you've got to try really hard to find proper Conservatives now in the Conservative Party and bizarrely, certainly in the Cabinet, they're in very short supply and that is part of the problem. But the thing about Dominic Cummings is that he talks a good game and he speaks as if he's a sort of sage about these matters, but he doesn't appear, or at least he wasn't asked to uh, by um, uh, Laura Kunzberg, uh, to extrapolate how exactly you would change the system and what kind of system he would prefer. Because, I mean, you would say it, wouldn't you, William, that the two-party system sucks because you can't get any traction, which in mm. my view is a shame because I think you should. But, mm. you know, you're, you making the argument is obvious, but he doesn't make an argument for what he would do instead. I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, the interview, it only had a few minutes on this, didn't it? And Laura Koonsberg seemed more interested in gossip yeah. and tittle than anything serious, mm. which is not is not surprising for the... For the for Maybe the there'll be a part two. I mean, he's not going anywhere, is he? No, no, he's not. I mean, I don't know. Let, let's see what he, let's what he, see what he does. But no, I, 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 I'd be the first to accept that this, what we're doing in the SDP, trying to build an alternative is difficult it's obviously difficult mm. but it's better to do that than sit at home eating crisps doing nothing no i agree I mean, and listen don't know, get me wrong I, I, as i say i would like to see much more choice i think a lot of people would but the tip the difficulty is is how do you dismantle the system that's been there for as long as anybody can remember because not only does it affect um you know national politics but it's at local level uh, it's a council level you know, it's at every sort of level through the, the system is, you know, how do you get selected to be an MP? How do you get selected to stand as a candidate? You know, safe seat here, another safe seat over there. You know, it's very difficult to cut through it. Well, you have to. You're right. I mean, you ha we have to open up um, the political system to challenges, challenger parties with new ideas and different ideas uh, have to be able to get into the system. And that gets back to the voting system. And I'm actually on that in the sort of short not the short term but the medium term very very optimistic mm. about that Mike. i'll explain why um the the stitch up that is the two two-party system that is the existing voting system so it only it can only last if both parties benefit from it so it is a stitch up it, it, it's labor benefit and the tories benefit but what happens mike if one of those parties ceases to be able to benefit from it that's the Labour Party. Yeah. A lot of people don't. If you look at this historically, the Labour Party is in secular decline. Uh, it, it's like the Liberal Party was in the 20s after they uh, expanded the franchise. It's cooked. Absolutely can't win a general election. And the more intelligent people in the party realise this. And I predict, you know, so 
I've said this before. The Labour Party is probably stupid enough to lose another general election. But after that, they'll say, OK, the only chance we've got is actually by uh, changing the voting system. And that will open things up. And I, I, if you get fair voting and you get, a, you get people into Parliament that actually represent mainstream opinion. Remember, Mike, in, in the Brexit situation, there was only one party in the whole of the Commons that backed Brexit. That was the DUP. Mm. The rest of them were stitched up. And that was a mainstream position. And I've argued, I've said, I mean, Peter Hitchens has, has argued that you need a Conservative Party. There are Conservatives, so you should have a Conservative Party. Unfortunately, there isn't one. Mm. And, you know, people have no choice. You, get, you change the voting system, you'll get an entirely different parliament. But if you change the voting system from, say, first past the post and make it into some kind of proportional representation system, um, I don't think that's any fairer. Because what you can see um, in Scotland, for example, is what happened there, where you had really a one-party state, which was run by Labour to a large extent. They had 48 seats, I think, out of the, the 50 that they had up there. And they basically won every seat every single time. When they started with independence in their own parliament, Labour ran that as well. But then they lost track of themselves and they didn't watch the SNP. And the SNP have now come in. And the SNP are effectively now a one-party nation, a one-party nation-state. So there's not a lot going on up there which is in any way fair, I would say. I mean, the Greens have got a little bit more say, perhaps, than they would have otherwise had. But an awful lot of, like, say, the list system, where people just get nominated by the party, you don't even get to vote for who represents you. They just tell you who's going to represent you. Yeah. I don't think that's um, right either. No, I'm against the list. I think the you've got to, you've got to have a system which retains actual geography to actual members mm. and for me that would be sort of a, you know, a slightly bigger constituency but but just to get back to scotland i think remember mike that you know at the high watermark of the snp's success at westminster the winner takes all thing is brutal mm. so they you know get 48 seats out of the 52 or something yes they have pr in holyrood and there is a slightly better representation but the whole of scottish politics is distorted by the secessionist arguments which look many of which i think are pretty flaky i mean yeah. i would say to any any scott nat fine you put forward your proposals but unless you can answer this critical question in what currency is your is your pension going to be paid scottish groats best of luck yeah really you know yeah exactly and so but their their politics is distorted by that there's no reason i i, I would be the first to admit that yes under first past the post you've got a cathartic you know result you usually you usually get decisive results although actually recently you haven't actually on, on the evidence 2010 and 2015 but um you know you, you can get decisive results and i'm not a you know i don't think pr will save the world but you honestly mike your listeners ask yourselves whether you're well governed by these two rotten parties and we're not hmm. no i think we would probably agree on that for the moment uh, but maybe it will get better. You know, I'm the eternal optimist <laughs> for, uh, for, for, well, for, good, to, for good or real. Choice. Can't get much worse. No, it can't. And also, you're, you, you are, you are, there are movements inside both major parties that are rather like ours. Mm. I mean, red, the Red Tory movement and the Blue Labour movement are rather like us. And, they're, and actually, we're, they are political kin trying to achieve the same thing by difficult means. But honestly, Mike, they've been at, both of those have been at it 10 years and... I don't think they've got any chance mm. at all of influencing those large parties. It's better to build something that you actually believe in. Yeah. No, I think that would be good. Principle would be a good thing to have in politics. We don't have much of it at the moment. William, thank you very much indeed. We'll talk to you again soon. William Clouston there, leader of the Social Democratic Party, offering something different, offering something new and saying the two-party system is done.
we need to do something else. And you may believe that and you may agree with him. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 